And uh, <clears throat> I thank God once again for the privilege of gathering uh, to see each and every one of us, even though not physical. Lord, we glorify your name. This morning, we are going to continue with um, 1 Samuel chapter 9. And I will read from 1 to end. And as I was looking at this passage, one thing came to my mind, you know, which kind of, which I use as a theme, which uh, the choice of man. And in going forward, a few sayings came into my mind. One is, never judge a book by the cover. And the other one, which is an inscription I saw in a car, on the body of a car. It says, don't mind the body. So it's the engine that matters. Father Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you that it's possible for us to meet here, to come before thy throne of grace. We pray, O oh Lord, and ask for your presence in our midst. If there is any reason, if there is anything within or without that will prevent, O oh Lord, your presence in our midst, Father, we ask that you remove it in the name of Jesus. Touch us in a special way and speak to us, O oh Lord, even through an unworthy vessel like me. Magnify yourself, O oh Lord, and decrease me that your word may be, may be heard and felt. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> so like I was saying, never judge a book by the cover. And don't mind the body of the car is the engine that matters. Sometimes physical structure or appearance of an object can be so deceptive. And if we make decision or pass judgment based on this, we are more than likely to make a very huge mistake of which the consequences in most cases will be too costly. Go with me to the book of, if you can, go with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9. I read from one. Say, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zero, the son of Bekorat, the son of Aphia a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. 
Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his soul, said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zoph, Saul said to his servants who was with him, come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, look, now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely come to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone. And there is no presence to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servants answered all again and said, Look, I have here at hand one fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. For merely in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus. Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to his servants, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And they went up the hills to the city. They met some young women going out to draw waters and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered and said, yes, there he is, just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes before until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out towards them on his way up the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear, the day before, before, Samuel, before Saul came, came saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hands of the Philistines. 
For I have looked upon my people because their cries has come to me. So when Saul saw Saul, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow. And I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found, and on whom is all the desires of Israel. It is not on you and on all your father's house. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak like this to me? Now Saul took Saul, Samuel took Saul and his servants and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to, to the cook, bring the portion which I gave to you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the, the tie with its upper parts and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is. What was kept back, it was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time, it has been kept for you. Since I said, I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel and that, and that day. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They arose early and it was about the dawning of the day. And Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house saying, get up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose and both of them went outside and he and Samuel, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Paul, tell the servant to go ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. I know it is a lengthy reading, but um, it is very, very important for us to understand the choice of man and the choice of God. Like I said, in most cases, the physical structure or appearance of an object is so deceptive. And if we make decision or pass judges based on this, we are more than likely to make a grave mistake. Physical appearance can be so distorting 
and has the propensity to impair our sense of judgment. And when once we made our decision based on this, we are bound to regret it big time. We can easily fall into this natural trap. Yes, because we are human beings. You can say, oh, I'm very, very, I'm a careful person. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very meticulous in doing things or things like that. It's not about how intelligent we are. It's not about how meticulous we are. We can easily fall into this natural trap when we over rely or trust in our human instinct. When we so much trust in ourselves, when we are overconfident in our individual abilities rather than God. Looking at our passage this morning, there is nothing wrong with ambition. Neither there is, neither there is any in determination or self-reliance, as Brian made us to understand in last week. There is equally nothing wrong in aspiring to be like others, but the question is, where is the place of God in your program? Are you rooted in him? Is he at the center of your plan and aspirations? Do you diligently seek his face for approval? As the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Also, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I love this song. Uh, the song that says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he shed on our wings. While we do his good will, he abide with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus and to trust and obey. When your trust is in the Lord, your decision and judgments are made with divine precision. When your trust is in the Lord, he will pattern your steps and grant you divine knowledge and ability to assess things from God's perspective. When you are obedient to God, he reveals his way to you. Going back in time and before now, the Israelites has already drifted from their, from their God, the living God, and have worshiped man-made gods. And as a result of this, spirit of prostitution, they no longer walk in his ways, thereby broken their covenants with God. Go with me if you can to the book of Joshua. Joshua, Joshua 24. 
Joshua 24. I read from 14. He said, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that, that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is who is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did these great signs in our sights and preserves us in all the ways that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwells in the land. We also serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions, nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witness against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourself to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are amongst you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and, and made, for them, for, made for them a statute and ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness to us for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart each to his own inheritance. These are people that has covenant with God. They promise that they will serve the Lord. They promise that they will serve the Lord. But just a space of time they fall away. The worst thing that can happen, the worst thing that can happen to anyone is to walk away from the love of God. And when you walk away from God, you stray into the devil territory. And when this happens, one, 
you become porous and lost. You become confused. You become afraid out of every wind that blows. You, be, you become defenseless, looking for solution where there is none. The Israelites was at this worst low, spiritual low point. Hence their desire to be like other nations. Remember, this is a nation that has been led by God, protected by God, supplied by God. Their battle was fought. God gave them everything. The only thing he asked of them is to trust in him. We might be passing judgment at this moment, saying, why did they not do that? It's very simple. God was with them. They saw it. They felt it. They felt it. They smell it. They embrace it. Why would they go away? Why would they walk away? I can tell you, same thing applies to us today. How often do you want to do things your own way without seeking the face of God? Here is the thing. When you are not connected to the source of life, every wind becomes a storm. But when your trust is in the Lord, he made your choices and judgment. However, when you relied on your finite knowledge and strength, you fell into the same trap of self-destruction. And one of the greatest mistakes anyone can make is choosing for God. Any decision outside God is doomed to fail. Be it in the choice of marriage or career, if the foundation is not of the Lord, it cannot stand. The devil can only take advantage. One, if you look at that marriage that is not working out, check out the foundation. If you see that, that business that is not growing in spite of all the strategies and financial stimulus, Check the foundation. If God is not at the foundation, it will never flourish. If God is not at the center, it will not move. That is why when we look around, you see so many marriages broken. Most of these marriages are people, those that chose, even Christians, they choose and give to God. This is what I want. Not seeking the face of God for, for that, for the choice, for God to make the choice, but they made the choice and ask God, this is it, this is what I want. If God is not at the foundation, it will never flourish. But if God is in it, he will make it right. 
you will take it to a level, a level, a level beyond human imaginations and capabilities. Let's back to the uh, to the passage that we just read. The family background of Saul, as we can see, as we can see in verse one, the family background of Saul from human perspective. He says, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of Becherat, the son of Apia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power, and a mighty man of power. That is the background of Saul's family. His great-great-grandfather, Apia, was a mighty man of valor. He was rich. And he runs in the family. So we can say that he's, he came from a wealthy family. He could have been well-educated for their time. Now, we also look at his physical structure or the way he looked. Verse two says, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulder upward, he was taller than any of the people. We are looking at the structure now. We are reasoning like human beings now. On relying on our intelligence, relying on our on, on our strength and our knowledge. He saw was the choicest choice. The most handsome in the land, call it in in the in the, in the land. His height from his shoulder, if, 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 he's, if he's standing in the crowd, you will see his, from his shoulder up among the people. He must have been a strong fellow as well. That is why he was a choice. Totally, he was born into a wealthy and probably he was in charge of the family business. If we look at chapter three, verse three, he says, now the donkey of Kish, Saul's father were lost. And Kish said to his son, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkey. So he, he, so he arrived. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. 
Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zoph, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us return, lest my father ceases caring about the donkeys and becomes worried about us. So number one is he's, he's a responsible son that even the business, the father can rely on him to take care of the business or to look even for the lost lamb. Remember who did this Christ as a parable, the parable of the lost sheep. It is a shepherd that goes after a lost um, animal. Not somebody that doesn't care. So he must have been part of the business. He must have been in charge somehow to a certain degree. So domestically, we can look at it like he was a choice. Now, when you look, when we go from chapter six, I mean, verse six to 20, we see divine connection. Divine connection, mean that which means he, this is something that he has no intention. He had, his mind never went to that aspect. He was going for one thing, but God has a different plan for him, a different program for him. So if we look at verse six, and he said to him, look, <clears throat> now there, there is in this city, a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely come to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Remember they were looking for a lost donkey or donkeys. And now having searched everywhere possible and having exhausted themselves, they desire to go home, to go back was thinking about his family, his father, that he might stop worrying about the lost donkey, but now thinking about their own safety so that they should go home. Yet the servant said that there, he, there is here a man of God who can show us or rather tell us what to do or where to go and find this donkey. Because that, mean, that shows that they also trust in the Lord. Then Saul says to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring to the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? He understand that they cannot go to the, to the to the man of God, empty-handed. He knows that. And that is why he insisted. And that is why he think about that. 
And the servant answered and said, and saw and said again and said, Look, I have here a at hand one fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. For many in Israel, this is um, it's a tradition also to say in Israel, come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called is a prophet was formerly called a seer in those days. So to them, they were going to the seer. In those days, that's how they, they referred to a prophet. Then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered them and said, yes, there is, there he is, just ahead of you, hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. But as soon as he comes into the city, you, as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice afterward. Those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, for about this time you will find him. So when you look at just the question, the, even the way they ask it, if it's now, if it's now, Somebody will just say that he's rude, will not answer. But his good looks, this is women, they ask this question. This is where his good looks also played. And that is divine connection. Because this information is somebody that cares, or that have time, that will stand and start telling you just one question he asks here. Whether the, 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 the prophet or the seer is here, that's they started telling, you know, even encouraging him where to go and how to go about it so that he will not miss him. This is a costly information, but they obtain it freely because the hand of God was already upon him. So when we, if we read from here, even to the uh, almost to the end, we will find out that it's all about divine connection. God bringing him to a point, a place where he will be recognized, where he will assume another level of his life. Now, in in once in uh, when he when Saul. When Samuel addressed him, he was taken aback and he was like, why are you addressing me like this? I am nothing. I am just, even my family is nothing. My tribe is nothing. My tribe is nothing. You can see that in, a, I think it's um, verse 21. said, verse 21, and Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite 
of the smallest of the tribe of Israel. And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe, a Benjamite. And then, do you speak like this to me? He was surprised because he came for a different thing. And the different story is all about, is now taking place. But what we should understand is in God's program, clannishness is never a factor. God transcends tribalism. It doesn't matter how lowly you are. It doesn't matter what you are or what you have, where you come from. In his program, all these are never factor. When God wants to do his things, he doesn't consider all these things. After all, he goes, he chose the lowly in order that those who feel that they are more worthy will understand that this is the hand of God. Finally, God grant, granted their will, the will of the people. Remember, this is the people that were asking. They were asking for, leader, for a leader. A king, a physical king that will go before them, that they can point at and said, uh, this is our king. They want to be like others because they did not understand any longer the importance of God's love over their lives because they have deviated completely from his laid down precepts. They have broken the covenants they have with God. That is where the children of Israel were. Now, let's compare the kingship of Saul with that of Jesus. We have looked at the family background. We have looked at the family background as is in verse one to, verses one to three. We compare the beds and the likely influence or privilege as we can see in verse three, I mean in verse two and three. Now, as for Jesus, he came that we may be reconciled with God. He came that we may have abundant life. He took our punishment and made us whole. And the chastising of our well-being was upon him. The chastisement that was necessary for our peace and well-being was upon him. He was beaten so we could behold the punishment which gives us the peace has fallen on him. We are in a very, very wonderful season. The month, uh, this month of December, Christ was born. He came that we may be reconciled with God. 
unlike, unlike Saul. His kingship, Christ's kingship, is divine. Even though you can trace the uh, uh, divine element in that of Saul, but they are not the same. He was not in the program of God because it is not by surprise that, fall, that Saul fall on the wayside. It was not a surprise to God. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows that the people made the choice and he had to grant, it, grant their choice, you know, their request. It's not that he decided to give them a king, but the children of Israel decided to have a king. And he decided, okay, if this is what you want, there you go. He gave to them. And as time goes on, we see we will see the consequences of this choice that was made. We will see, you know, God's hand also in, in redeeming his people. So all in all, the kingship of Saul was the people's choice. God gave them according to their desire. And in the end, Saul could not deliver. But the kingdom, or rather that the kingship of Christ is divine and everlasting. He came to the world to bring peace to a world that has no peace. He came into the world to heal us of all our infirmities. He came into the world that we may be we may walk in consonance with God. We thank God for that privilege. As believers, it is a privilege and honor to be part of this God's plan. Father Lord, we thank you. We bless your name. We thank you, Father, that you think it worthy to reconcile us with you, that you gave us your son, who took our punishment in order to save us, in order to bring us peace. Blessed be your name. Amen.